Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good evening, everybody. I grew up in, I don't even know what kind of church Loma community was considered or great grace community. Yeah, so... When, when I met Danny and we started talking about worship and I was like, she, she would tell me, you know, I sing on the worship team at church and I'm like, what is that? Because <laughs> we, had a, we had a choir. We had a choir in both churches as a choir. So, and it wasn't really referred to as like the worship team, right? So I got acquainted with worship teams and, and I'd listened to some Christian music and to me it was like they're artists, they're Christian musicians. I still wasn't familiar with this idea of of a worship team and and what that meant and that's been awesome to get to to understand that. But um, also as I was reading and been studying scripture and got really serious about my faith and I'm like wait I don't see like exact examples of like a specific thing here that that is worship. It seemed like more more consuming, all consuming than that. And that that has led me into okay, what is what is worship exactly? What does that look like? So when I ask you guys, who in here is on the worship team? There it is, Kenny. Yeah, all of you should raise your hand. You are all on the worship team, and I don't just mean because Kenny and Vicky are trying to recruit and get you guys up here. It is because we are all on the worship team. And I don't know if you guys remember, but a while back, Dave was given a message about, you know, who is your pastor? And what did he say? You are. So who is your worship leader? You are, right? We are our own pastor. We are our own worship leader, and really tonight, that's, that's what I want to talk about is what does it look like to have a life of worship? And it might not be for, for those of you out here that haven't been up here, it might not take on that form, right? If you're not musically inclined or you don't have a voice, like when I sing, if, if that's the form of worship that I'm doing, it's usually when people aren't around, or when it's in front of my kids and they just love their dad and are gonna enjoy it no matter what. Maybe not when they're older, like, all right, dad, let's let mom do the singing. Um, <laughs> I'd rather her do it anyways. But uh, for those of you that aren't up here, like, what does that look like to have a life of worship? And certainly being out in the crowd while there are others up here leading us in worship, that is participating in worship too. But what about when we're outside of the church? What does that look like to live a life of worship? Um, I'm going to start off in Psalm 150. I don't know if you guys have looked at like the Hebrew layout of the Bible, but at the very end is actually the Psalms. So what we're reading tonight to start with is what the Hebrew Bible would end with before it goes into the New Testament. Praise the Lord. 
Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with sing strings and pipes. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And again it says, praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> what a great way to end after reading through the Old Testament stories. And you come to this and it wraps it up with, in light of all of this, praise the Lord. And what a great, great way to usher into the New Testament. So here we see um, the first way we could talk about living a life of worship, and that is through the use of a word here we see in English as praise. Um, in Hebrew, that's hallel, which is the root of hallelujah. And we see that in the New Testament as well. It's part of a lot of different worship songs, but one way to worship is through shouts of praise. It's what we just got done doing um, with those four songs. It's what you do jamming out in the car um, or at home, whatever. I mean, it's one way that we can worship. But it is only one way, but it is a very big way throughout Scripture of what it looks like to live a life of worship. One thing that this like alludes to when you are praising him, it is like having total elation and being completely awestruck in who God is, what he's done in your life, what he's done in other people's lives, what he's done in the past, what he's going to do in the future. It is just like being totally blown away. How many of you have experienced that before? Do you guys walk through every single moment of, of your day that way? Yeah, don't say yes. Don't say yes because you know you don't. So just thinking about those moments and trying to achieve those moments and putting yourself in a position to experience that awe of who God is. Um, there are a few things I can remember. There's this one time just laying out in the back and the sun's going down, the, the lights, the sun is just beaming through the trees and there's birds singing and I'm just like, just this peace washing over me like, man, God is so amazing or my jam sessions in the car I'm like okay I got to keep my eyes open I can't close my eyes while I'm singing here I can't lift both hands I mean I can try to drive with my knees but that's probably not a good idea um, just being totally enamored with who God is and it's like that feeling of, of being in love right just that overwhelming flood of emotion where it's like oh my gosh he is so amazing I can't believe he loves me or the, some of the greatest moments, the birth of, of my three children and just holding this new creation in my hands and just being completely blown away by the amazingness of who God is. And, and you know, the scripture's like full of these examples. There's a really cool one in 2 Samuel chapter 6 where David is bringing the, um, the ark and he's singing and he's dancing and just total abandon. Like, I don't know if you've seen little kids sing and dance when they're worshiping. I would love to see adults still doing that. David did it. He's the king. I mean, 
Don't be embarrassed, right? I think one thing that holds us back is we care how other people see us worshiping. And we shouldn't. We absolutely shouldn't. Um, another example, uh, in Second Chronicles, Solomon just dedicated the temple after it had been built, and they do all of these sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord comes down and consumes these, these sacrifices. Everybody hits the ground. And then they stand up and they start blasting their instruments and praising. You could hear it throughout all of Israel. The shouts of praise were, had to be absolutely amazing. Yes. And then the song that, not, not the last one we did, but the second to the last song, uh, it's one of my favorite songs called Echo Holy. And it's this picture of the throne room. You can read about it in Revolu Revelation 4. And just imagining the multitudes of angels and the followers of Christ and those who have died and gone before us and just praising with all of their hearts the majesty and the greatness of the Lord. A.W. Tozer says that I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. I've heard people say, well, if heaven's just an eternal worship service, it sounds pretty boring to me. It's because they don't know God. Amen. Right? That's simple terms. Worship is an eternal calling. We get to do it here, and we're going to be doing it forever. Right? And that is something that we should be pursuing, those moments of just total abandon and praise of who he is. You know, guys, we live in a, an amazing world. It doesn't lack in awe-inspiring marvels. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And if you guys are rushing through life too fast to just slow down and enjoy the beauty around us, then slow down, right? Um, I get it. I get the, the fast-paced life, and, and I'm just as guilty as anybody of, of missing all the beauty passing by. Romans 1.20 says that his eternal power and divine nature have been made clear from the beginning through his creation. And these are examples of common grace, things that everybody gets to enjoy, whether they believe in God or not, they get to enjoy things of his beauty. And those things should inspire awe. And you, you read about stories all the time of astronomers and biologists and, and the various other genetic scientists and things that are going into these creations and just being like, you can go one of two ways. You can use that to try to deny God if you're ignorant, really, of reality, or you can see all of that as exploring just the surface of the depths of who God is and the majesty of what he has created. He's given us all of these things to just revel in how amazing he is. Francis Chan says that many spirit-filled authors have exhausted the thesaurus in order to describe God with the glory he deserves. His perfect holiness, by definition, assures us that our words can't contain him. Isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? So just taking stock of where you're at right now, when is 
the last time outside of church that you've taken a moment to just be blown away by who God is. And it should be a regular rhythm in our life. If worship in this form, if praise in this form is not a part of a regular rhythm in your life, you need to start working it in. And also, it doesn't have to be circumstantial, and you guys know that, right? Have you guys ever praised him through difficult times? For some reason, it's like the crushing weight of the world puts us on our knees, and that's some of the best worship we could ever have. And there's, there's also stories in Scripture about that. I think of um, early in the book of Acts, after they, Peter and, and the apostles and all these followers have been, had received the Holy Spirit and they're speaking all these different tongues and Peter gave this amazing sermon um, and thousands of people were saved and, and everybody is on fire going around and then Peter and some other apostles get arrested for it and then they get beaten. You guys remember what they did after they got released? They praised God. They were singing. They were full of joy. They're like, thank you, Jesus. We got to be beaten for your name. And there's so many of us worried about what our coworkers are going to say. Bring it on. Bring it on. And you know what they did after they got released, too? They went right back out, even though the Sanhedrin's like, don't say anymore. Like, yeah, right. And they just went out, and they kept preaching the word. Later on in the book of Acts, we see Paul and Silas are out witnessing. People are getting saved. They get arrested. They get thrown in jail, and they start their own little worship service. Acts 16, you can read about it if you want. They have a little worship service there in jail. And what happens? Anybody, anybody know? Yeah, and the jailers get saved, and it's like, Wow. That's right. And then probably one of the most famous examples of praise when it doesn't seem like you should is Job. Job chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 when he hits his knees, his kids have been taken, property has been taken, things that most of us don't even understand how tragic that would be and his response is to worship. I don't know if that would be my response. I hope it would be. I want that to be, no matter what happens, when I walk out that door, what gets taken from me, I don't want it to withhold my worship. I want it to drive me into worship. Nancy Lee DeMoss says that, though my natural instinct is to wish for a life free from pain, trouble, and adversity. I am learning to welcome anything that makes me conscious of my need for him. If prayer is birthed out of desperation, then anything that makes me desperate is a gift from God. You know, what does Philippians 4 tell us? Rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How are we doing with that?
in the book of Habakkuk. Um, there's a really cool ending to it. He goes through and he's talking about all these, woe to these people, woe to these people, devastation's coming. You know the minor prophets. If you've read through them, it's like, here we go. I was talking to Dave earlier this week, and I was like, what are you, what are you thinking about doing after Ephesians? He's like, oh, maybe one of the minor prophets. It's like, all right, here we go. Um, I don't know if that's what he's going to do, but... Um, yeah, they're, they're tough to read because it's a constant confrontation with ourself and the sin that we battle with through the reflection of all these other broken nations, Israel being one of those. But in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, this is how he ends everything. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with the stringed instruments. No matter what is going on, guys, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've lost, no matter what you've gained, no matter what, we should be singing with all of our hearts. The, the circumstances that he lays out is like, no matter if I lose everything, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. May that be so for all of us in here. Worship. A life of worship is also more than singing. And that's one thing I was like, as I'm discovering this, through reading through here, it's like, okay, what exactly does it look like to worship? Well, Romans, there's a verse in Romans that tells us what our worship should look like outside of the praise element of it. If you guys want to go to Romans chapter 12, you guys probably have these verses memorized. It is a call that many Christians have heeded and understand and embrace and some of us struggle a little bit more with. But in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, here it is, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we live a life of worship? Through sacrifice. The Old Testament is full of these different aspects of sacrifice that they would bring in, in the garden, we, or outside of the garden. We saw Cain and Abel bringing sacrifices. We saw... Um, in the uh, tabernacle period, we saw Noah after uh, he had been rescued and his family had been saved. His initial response when he got out of the ark is to make sacrifices as a form of worship. We don't make those sacrifices. We make greater sacrifices, right? We sacrifice this. We lay this on the altar. Every day, every moment of every day, Jesus said it this way, pick up your cross and follow me. 
Jesus doesn't ask us to hang on a cross. He did that for us, but he does ask us to carry one. And that means the way we worship is getting us out of the way so that he can shine forth through us and be lights into the world. One really amazing example of this, and Jesus called like his disciples around, and you know of Jesus like looking at something happening, he's like, okay guys, watch this. You know it's going to be really good, and you know there's going to be a lesson to it. If you guys want to flip over to Mark chapter 12 with me. You know, there's a lot of different titles the widow's might, the widow's offering, whatever it is. But we've got here a picture uh, of sacrificial living. Picking up in verse 41 of chapter 12. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Doesn't take wealth to be generous, right? And sometimes living a life of sacrifice can be painful, and there's risk to this. Can you imagine being this woman without no security blanket, without any security blanket, and she loves God so much that she's going to take everything. It's not like she gave 10%. She took her piggy bank and everything in it, which wasn't much, but it was everything, and gave it to God in faith that God was going to take care of her. She loved him that much that she gave all that she had. Abraham is another good example. Despite his struggles, when God said, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him. I, I cannot imagine taking any of my children up a hill knowing that I'm going to shove a dagger in their heart. I can't. But Abraham's faith at this point, regardless of all the, the many mistakes he made in the past up to this point, right here, Abraham knows that he can trust God and the goodness of God, and he can put his son's life in God's hands. And God provided a different sacrifice, didn't he? Genesis 22, 12 through 4, you can read about that. Um, the, there are so many other examples. I mean, Jesus being the, the greatest example of coming down, living a life of sacrifice, living a life um, in total abandon of self. Everything he did was for the benefit of others. All the way to the point of hanging on the cross, forgiving those who are executing him. Psalm 100, verse 2, 
I was reading this the other day, and depends on the translation, but some say, I will make a joyful noise. Some say, worship, I will worship the Lord, all the earth. Some will say, um, serve the Lord with gladness. And that is because, interchangeably, you've got serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. The word here is abad. It appears 290 times throughout the Old Testament. More than hallel. That right there says, yes, sing, praise the Lord. But almost twice as much, you should be doing acts that show your praise and your worship of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and Colossians 3.17 basically have the same idea. It's whatever you do in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God. Everything. You're pairing these together. Our life of worship should be both in what we are saying, in our singing, in our worship, but also in the worship that we do with each other and how we're sacrificing our own wants, our own desires, our own money, our own time at the benefit of other people. Taking on the, the role of the Good Samaritan and seeing somebody in need, my, forget my appointments, forget my money, forget my safety, forget my security. I see a brother in need and I'm going there and I'm helping them regardless of myself. Or you think of all those people who, um, during the civil rights movement, that, that put their lives, their security on the line, saying God has a better way than segregation and hate. And I don't care what happens to me. I'll go sit in the diners and let people beat me and put cigarettes out on my skin and throw their food at me and say all these awful things because I know the Lord has a different plan than this. We've got to do more sacrificing. We have to, no matter where you are in your life right now, there is more that we can do, not because we have to, but because of the example that has been set by us, most of all, by Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. And the last, the last thing I really want to focus on is how a life of worship, if we're singing, and I've been guilty of this too, guys, sorry, Kenny and Vicky, but I've been back there, I've been worshiping, and then my mind starts going somewhere else. And then I go, okay, I got to get refocused here. You guys have been there too, right? Everybody's been there. But from when we're worshiping, whether we are doing acts of service, and I've done this too, I have begrudgingly served other people. And that's not okay. That is a bad heart. And I admit that I have done that, grumbling, like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And it's like, but I'm still like, I'm serving, but I'm not happy about it. Uh, it it's still the same broken nature that we need healed from, right? We need the distracted mind to be refocused, to be renewed. We need the selfish heart to be softened and made selfless. I'm going to read another story of a great example of worship from a sincere heart and somebody that was just totally in love with Jesus. If you guys want to flip to Luke chapter 7 with me. 
Luke chapter 7, I'm going to pick up in verse 36. I'm going to read quite a few here, so bear with me. There's multiple titles here. I don't know what yours says. The sinful woman, the woman with the alabaster box, what, whatever. But it, it's all the same idea. One of the Pharisees asked him, being Jesus who had come to, come to eat with him, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, took his place at the table, and behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. It's like, oh, busted. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, and I love this, instead of talking to the Pharisee now, he zeroes in on the woman who has been there at his feet this whole time. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. I gave, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I, I, I see in here, when you, when you look at the word here for, um, for worship and what she is doing, the Hebrew word is shaka, which means to bow down. And that appears 172 times in the Old Testament. And then we see examples of it here. In the New Testament, there are examples of when you come into a place to worship the Lord. If we actually saw him in his majesty, we would be terrified. And we see examples of that, of John and, and David and Daniel. And when they just see even angels of the Lord, they're just like on their face, absolutely terrified by the majesty and the glory of who he is. And I see this woman who by all means had no right to even enter that Pharisee's house because of their twisted, messed up rules that they had, and by no right could even touch Jesus. 
But she knew, she knew in her heart that he was the only hope that she had, and he was the way to become clean. And for, for all of us in here, we are this woman. We are the sinner that would not be welcome at the people's table. And we have been washed clean only by the blood of Jesus, and we should be at his feet, kissing his feet, wetting his feet with our tears in the, the figurative way. We should be bowed down before him. And if you haven't in reverence and awe fallen at the feet of Jesus in your closet, in your room, in your house, out of the grocery store, whatever, who cares what people think? She didn't. Charles Spurgeon says that nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. Nothing else mattered to this woman than Jesus. This morning I was, we did, I did devotions with the, the kids and then um, I just started playing Man of Sorrows. I was like, okay, you guys, I want you guys to just, after you've written your journal stuff down, I want you to just sit in prayer and just soaking in the goodness of God. Keep in mind they're 10, 8, and 4. Um, and I'm going to sing, and, and if you guys want to join in, you can. And I, I hit the second chorus, and I just had to stop singing. I kept playing, but I was like, I was getting so, so choked up. And it just came, it just came out of nowhere. And I couldn't sing. I couldn't get the words out because the, the goodness of him, the love of him was just washing over me, and I was just crying. And Anna's like, are you Okay. It's like, yeah, I'm never better. And finally, I could compose myself. I, I didn't try to rush it. And then I could finish singing. And I just went into another one. And I just, I just played. I just played I Surrender. I didn't sing. And I just wanted to also just soak in that moment. And I'm sitting there, and I just have tears running down my face while my kids are around me in the living room. And it was beautiful and amazing. And, and I love it, and I want to spend more time like that. I need to spend more time like that, whether it's with them or, or by myself with the Lord. I want to do more of that. And, and I've been studying before. I don't know if you guys have been here, and you're just studying, and you read something, and it's just like you just get choked up, and you just start crying because you're confronted with how broken you are and how beautiful he is, and how amazing his love is, and how much we are this sinful woman in need of his grace, and how we don't deserve it. And that, that should lead us into worship. Understanding who we are, and who he is, and the fact that he loves us, Anyways, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. At the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 12, I read this out loud um, to Anna this morning. I just, like, I just started reading it, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is powerful. I'm reading it out loud, and Anna comes over, and she sits on the couch with me. And it's just like how God is has shaken the earth 
and his judgment has happened and is painting this picture of the majesty of God in a terrifying way, mind you. And Anna's just kind of like, I, I don't know. She's just kind of looking like, I don't know how to take this. And I just keep reading. like, just wait, just wait. And then at the end, it's talking about how there is going to be a shaking that comes. And it's not just going to be the heaven. He is going to shake the heavens and the earth. And the only thing that will be left are the things that cannot be shaken. And ladies and gentlemen, that is you and me because of the blood of Christ that covers us. This is a greater Passover that is coming. And it was beautiful in Egypt when, when the firstborn were taken out, but the blood of the lamb covered them. But guys, the heavens and the earth are going to be shaken and crumble and made completely new when he comes back. And the only thing standing are the people who stand with him. And that is us. And because of that, it says, come to him with the acceptable worship, which is in reverence and awe. Whatever you're doing, you're serving, you're singing, it should be out of reverence and awe of who he is. And yes, he is a consuming fire. And that fire consumes us in a different way. It is a Holy Spirit fire that is going to consume the world through his goodness and his power. And those who don't call on the name of Jesus will experience a different consuming fire. And we've been saved from that. And in Jude it says, Pull people out of the fire. Pluck them out of the fire. Get out there. Preach. Share my love. Direct people to me. Bring people to me so that they will not be shaken in the end as well. And that is why it is always important to be in a state of reflection. Am I singing these songs from a pure and sincere heart? If, if you're not, stop and repent and get back on track and be like, Lord, help me. If you're not serving in a sincere heart, say, I'm sorry. I have to repent all day long. How about you guys? <laughs> yeah, but his mercies are new every day and many times a day for those of us that are broken and following in a broken way. But to honor the Lord in his beauty is to also honor him in his terrifying nature to praise him for his love and his mercy is also to praise him for his justice yes. Yes. to worship him as the lamb is also to worship him as the lion yes. and we have to always remember that without him we're lost we're broken and we're nothing apart from Christ so I want to call the worship team back up, and I just want to close with this. To just spend time thinking that worship, we're going to do that now, but we're going to do that always because worship is a lifestyle. It's not confined to a place. It's not confined to a role in church. It's not confined to a particular format of music. It's so much more. And worship must define the follower of Christ. Jesus said to the woman at the well that worship is done in and through the Spirit. 
and out of truth and sincerity. And no matter your nationality, no matter how many husbands you've had before this, no matter how broken your life is, up to the moment you are meeting with Jesus, he wants your worship. He wants to meet with you at the well and make you whole. And I close with this quote from Augustine of Hippo. He says in his prayer, you never go away from us, yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. Let us love and let us run. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.